Thanks, Jessica. If I can have my ushers come forward, let me pray. God, thank you so much that we know that you're there, that you do not forsake us. Though we may not be aware of your presence sometimes, may not see you, but we can look back at our life and say, hey, God was there. He showed up. He got me here. And that today we know that you're real. If we choose to believe and follow you, we will have that in our life, that assurance that you're with us. In your name we pray. Amen. I'm going to turn the air conditioners on real quick. If you guys don't mind, you guys anybody hot in here? Anybody? That's enough. All right, if you weren't with us last week, we opened up with a new series um, talking about the, the kingdom of God, um, what it means. Uh, Jesus showed up in the gospel of Mark and he spoke some words there um, in the beginning. Those are the first words that Mark puts in his gospel. And Jesus is saying, repent, believe for the kingdom of God is near. And so what we did last week, if you saw, if you didn't see, um, we had Liz up here and she was painting um, and, the, and the art started with the words, repent for the kingdom of God is near. And I'd asked everyone to take a moment and I wanted them with one word or two words to write down on a note card what was currently defining their reality. What was in their life right now that was so big that it was hard to fathom what the kingdom of God would look like and when it would get here and things like that because of what's around us. So we use the word mess. The mess was so um, there that we couldn't see the kingdom. And so we took those words then. And as I spoke, Liz painted all those words on to that board. And, and so, um, and then she followed it and it ended with the three words, freedom, um, truth, and healing. And those are the three things that we said came when the kingdom of God showed up. And so that's what we talked about last week. Um, and so today we're going to continue in that series, but I want to do a little bit of a background uh, to what the kingdom was. Um, and so if you have a Bible, turn with me to the book of Psalms. Um, if you don't have a Bible, there's probably one in your chair or around you. But uh, if you're just looking at this last week, um, uh, I think for many lives, those involved in uh, um, the Boston Marathon or the Texas fertilizer plant, um, there's flooding going on all over the place in, in, in Canada right now. Just there's so much more uh, mess that has just happened in the last few days that has made the kingdom even um, harder to see. Um, things that define our reality in this moment. Um, so when you understand, though, that every view of life, whether it's agnostic, atheist, um, Christian, Muslim, um, deist, whatever it is, every view of life has to deal with these kind of issues, these issues of suffering and, and evil or death, um, whether it's stress, pain, conflict, um, broken marriages, confusion, finances, many things that were on that board. There's nine questions that we're just drawn to that we want to have answers for. And for me, the place where I discover hope and where I find I can draw answers, not just for tragedies, but for life, is in the ancient text. And I know that when we open the Bible, for some of us that are here today, uh, we're not yet followers of Christ. And so some of us, uh, we're not too sh- sure about the, the scripture. And even some of us that are Christ followers, um, we're still a little sketched out about the Bible when it comes to being authoritative in our lives or, or relevant for our moment. 
But for all of us, we live in the midst of our cultural assumptions. Uh, In other words, in this time and in this place, this is how people think and feel. This is how people understand stuff. You look at your grandparents or your great-grandparents and you would say, well, they looked at the world very differently than I do. Um, They thought about things very differently than I do now. Their value grid or their ethic grid, whatever it was, was completely different. And yet when you come to the pages of scripture, these are not truths that have just hung around for about 50 years in this cultural moment, but truths rather for thousands of years have had uh, shaping and impacting uh, the lives of people that listen. And the challenge for you and I is that when we open this ancient text, if you live in that doubt of it, you have to ask yourself, well, am I willing to bank my life on my current cultural assumptions at this moment? That 50 years from now, your great-grandkids will point back to you and say, he thought differently, totally irrelevant for my moment today. Or will you bank your life on something that has uh, withstood the test of time, beyond culture, beyond history, that has shown up in lives from the beginning? And so when we open the pages of Scripture, it's this place that we go to. And as we look at this idea of the kingdom of God in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus says, The kingdom of God is near. You need to repent and believe. Now, he doesn't define it for us in that moment. And for you and I, that becomes a huge challenge. Because like we said last week, we often see the kingdom in a mythical sense. Our hearts don't connect to it. Our minds don't connect to it. We think castles and kings and and knights and all those things. And the reason he didn't define it for us was because his hearers, his listeners at the time... They did have an understanding of the kingdom of God. And it was an understanding that he was going to build upon, expand, and redefine. And so the first thing we need to do is we need to grasp what the listeners understood when he said, repent, the kingdom of God is near. And the crowd, they did respond to that. They either got mad and rejected it, or they followed him. But they understood what he was talking about. And for you and I, we don't really understand what he was talking about. And so today I want to begin to to unpack that a bit from the Old Testament. Paint a picture that says, what what were they thinking when Jesus said, the kingdom of God? And the first challenge I want to give to you is to leave the mystical kingdom that you and I have really bought into because of our cultural moment. This type of dualism that takes the material world as the real world, this earthly world, the tangible, what I can touch and feel. And and we separate those things from the the spiritual world, this other world, the Holy Spirit, Jesus, you know, heaven. That's a totally different thing. And for some reason, there isn't within us a mental construct to bring together in a holistic way how to bring the material, the earthly world, and the spiritual world together and say that there is a tangible reality of God's reign in my life. And that's why when we talk about the kingdom of heaven, our mind immediately goes to two steps above make-believe. Because we live, uh, we leave all those things in the spiritual world. We leave them in the other world. That doesn't really uh, come down to my life and this tangible, earthly, fleshly existence where a bullet goes into your body or a piece of shrapnel goes into your body and you die. The concrete of our lives And so all we can do with Jesus is compartmentalize him into our lives and separate him from the kingdom and bring him into our kingdom, to our realm, to our reign, uh, and turn him into our own 
personal Jesus. The people around the world together uh, belong to the order of creation. And there's this interesting concept that some of us implicitly buy into. That when we get to heaven, we won't be creatures anymore. We won't be the created. We will uh, somehow leave our creaturehood. And that is never the case. In other words, what I'm saying is, is that there is this assumption that when we get to heaven, we will be like God. Which is the same lie that was going on in the garden. When I get to heaven, I will still be a created being. Living in the fullness of dependency, all in the grace of God. Who is physically present with me. And therefore, I still remain a creature of creation. Just as the earth and the heavens are his creation. And so when you come to the Old Testament, you see the picture where the people and the world belong to the order of creation. And therefore, they are in the realm of God's reign. And in a real sense, the earth participates in our faith. And so they're put together. So when we speak of God reigning as king, we're talking about the relational reign of God as king over all the earth and all the people. This relational reign, in other words, that this is, this is not a God that is just sitting above us without a care or concern, without investment in your life, in your soul or your situation. But nor is he a God who said, you know what? Let me just lay the earth out and let it be a stage where your, play, where your life plays out on. But you have, you have no real connection to it. There's this deep lie within us that we will raise above this dependency that we have on the earth. And so the holistic sense of our existence in the West is really broken. And yet, we're reminded when we look at Haiti, and you see thousands of people dying of starvation because a hurricane hit. The earth and humanity are intertwined and radically dependent on each other. Drought, that's a problem. Floods, that's a problem. And all these things show that we are created in the utmost dependency. And so whatever story you try to find, if it's not the kingdom of God story, you're still going to be searching for a story to define what this thing called life is. So turn with me to Psalms 47. Starting in verse 1. It says this, Clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. How awesome is the Lord Most High, the great King over all the earth. He subdued nations under us, peoples under our feet. He chose our inheritance for us, the pride of Jacob whom he loved. God has ascended amid shouts of joy, the Lord amid the sounding of triumph of trumpets. Sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises to our king, sing praises. For God is the king of the earth, sing to him a psalm of praise. God reigns over the nations. God is seated on the holy throne. The nobles of the nation assemble As the people of the God of Abraham, for the kings of the earth belong to God, he is greatly exalted. In the Psalms, we see a snapshot of God who is reigning over all the earth and and all the people. And in the Old Testament, that was specifically predominant to the Jewish people, the children of Abraham. And you see this picture both of earth and people being in the realm of God's reign, and they participated in that. And he says, sing praises. Because the people of the God of Abraham and the kings of the earth belong to God. And what this psalmist is saying is that, yeah, we may fear or have other kings, but our king reigns supreme over all those kings, over all the earth. In the Old Testament mind, God's reign was tangible to their life and to their circumstances. 
The kingdom of God in a historical sense was progressing. God was breaking in. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But what I want you to see is that God's reign was on earth. That's something they, that's what they understood. It was a part of his realm, but more specifically as the future, when the kingdom of God would manifest, that the earth would be redeemed and restored. And so for the Old Testament person, the creation of the universe was a part of their DNA, a part of their origin, where they understood where they came from. And sin and the fall was a huge piece of the picture for them as well. The people that rebelled against God. But the anticipated hope of the kingdom of God was that the earth would be restored to the Eden-like place it originally was created to be. In the book of Isaiah, all throughout the book, he paints the picture of that restoration. He, uh, uh, let me give you a few snapshots. You don't have to turn there. But in Isaiah, he says, the wilderness will become fruitful. At those places of barren desert that you see when you drive through the west, he says those places are going to become fruitful. They will bear fruit. He says the, des- the desert will blossom. He says, in the kingdom of God on earth, sorrow and sighing will flee. That the burning sands will cool and the dry places will become springs of water. Verse thir- uh, chapter 35. Peace will return to the animal world so that injury and destruction will be done away with. Chapters 11 and 9. That all uh, because earth becomes full of the knowledge of God. Chapter 11. So in the Old Testament mind, the kingdom of God showing up on earth meant that the earth would be restored to its original purposes. The picture that is created there is that the natural selection of the animal kingdom is done away with. That lion and lamb are sitting together. That the barren deserts that they lived in would actually become springs of water. There is this picture where Isaiah prophetically declares that the kingdom of God is going to have an earthly restoration. And they anticipated that in the far future when the kingdom of God showed up. So the first thing that we can say about the people who were listening to Jesus and, 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 and Mark, when he said, repent and believe the kingdom of God is near, is that they would have thought of the kingdom of God as something that would show up on earth, displaying the glory of their God king. And it wasn't a simple spiritual, otherworldly type of kingdom. That would, uh, they would have thought of it as tangible, this kingdom on earth through the earth's redemption. Okay, the next thing we see in the kingdom of God is his reign over people. So turn with me, Psalms 96. Starting in verse 10. It says, Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound. And all that is in it, let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Then all the trees of the forest will sing for joy. They will sing before the Lord, for he comes, he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the people in his truth. Again, we hear the language uh, that, that he's coming and you see this picture of the people in the earth and this intimate relationship. The earth is a part of God's reign. Uh, so the creation responds to it. Turn with Psalms 98. Verse 8 says, let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the righteous of the world in righteousness and the people with equity. Again, we hear the language, he comes. 
These are what the scriptures call enthronement psalms. Rejoicing praises. Not because the king is seated in heaven looking down at the earth. That's not cause for their rejoicing. The reason they're rejoicing, the reason they are declaring praises is because God in heaven visits us. He comes into our world on earth. The history of the Old Testament, specifically the people of Israel, is that God broke in on the mountain of Sinai with Moses when he was standing there. God brings all these people of Israel together and says, you are my nation. You are my chosen people. I am your God. And he visits them on this mountain, in this tabernacle, by the cloud, by the pillar of fire, and he establishes them as a people. A people who were enslaved. A people who were bound. A people who were not set free. A people who were not even people. They had no land, no identity other than God. And God visits them, breaks into their world, and they understood that in their minds. That he showed up through the Davidic throne, where the people say, hey, we don't want God as our king, we want our own king. And so God chooses Saul and ultimately brings David to the throne. And he says, through David's line, I will show up with my Messiah. My eternal kingdom will redeem you fully. And they understood that God didn't just sit up in heaven, look down in this passive deism mentality that most of us compartmentalize him into. But they understood that this was a God who would break in, visit us in our history, in our lives on this earth with a tangible expression of his rule. They got that. They understood that. But it wasn't just for David in the throne of Israel. Turn to Zechariah 2. It's the end of the Old Testament. Zechariah 2. Verse 10 says this. Shout and be glad, O daughter of Zion, for I am coming and I will live among you, declares the Lord. Many nations will be joined with the Lord in that day and will become my people. I will live among you and you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. This gets a picture that the reign of God is not just limited to Israel, but extended to the nations of the world, the Gentiles that come by faith and that the Lord was coming to them and he was breaking in. So the other thing that would have, they would have understood when listening to Jesus is that God breaks in and he rules and reigns in their lives. It's the nature of their reign that was tangible to their lives and in their circumstances. One last thing, Isaiah 61. Go back a few chapter, uh, books to Isaiah 61. Last one. This is... I was talking to the, the team that was serving uh, that's, that's serving this morning. We had a meeting, a prayer meeting this morning. I told them this, this section of scripture uh, is huge for me. I feel like it's part of the vision of the grove. But 61 verses 1 through 3 says this. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all those who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. It will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They would have understand the kingdom of God to have tangible 
implications that they were in the realm of God's rule and compassion. His freedom, comfort, grace, mercy, justice. They wanted that. They would believe that that was possible. Jesus said the kingdom of God was near. These were the things that were rolling through their mind. Well, the other piece of that for the people of Israel was it, it to them this national identity, this political God that came and established Israel as a nation to rule over all the other nations. And so the second thing we could say about these people listening to Jesus is they would have thought of the kingdom of God with anticipation. In other words, for you and I, it falls into some category somewhere. But for them, they would have been thinking of it with anticipation because that they knew that their God would visit them on earth just as he did in the past. And when he shows up, there are good and tangible implications for their lives to bless and judge and to accomplish his purposes of his rule. They understood that. When we think of God ruling relationally over people and over the earth, we see that the relational peace is huge. That God is redeeming and loving and pursuing and judging. Oft, we want to read about the kingdom of God, so we go back to the prophets. And many of the prophets speak of gloom and despair and apocalyptic stuff, right? And the typical Western mind does what with the prophets? We try to figure out dates and times, right? When you work with teenagers in ministry, this is huge for them, man. It seems that that's all they're worried about. Like, Pastor Jeff, when is this going to happen? Is it happening soon? You know, because I got a few things I'd like to check off my list, right? You know, before I devote myself to God, you know. So what kind of time are we looking at? Even some of you as adults, you know, you're like, well, how much time do I have before I have to really pursue God, you know? But when you read and understand that even the prophets... They were not concerned with the dates and times as much as they were concerned about the ethical response to the prophecies of judgment. When God established uh, his covenant with his people and said that I'm going to be your God and king and you will be my people, he was essentially saying, if you break this covenant, then I'm going to show up and enforce it. Whenever you read the prophets and you read, uh, you need to understand that they are enforcing the covenant that Israel had been faithless to. And they walked away from God. And the prophets would show up and they'd say, man, if you don't repent and obey, these things will happen. They were enforcing the covenant. Not trying to nickel and dime us on the end times. Though they would speak of those things, their purpose was the ethical response to it. And so when you and I come to this idea that God and his kingdom breaks into history, I find that that it's a huge challenge for our mind because we think in static, not dynamic. And what I mean by that is that we think of the kingdom of God as a structure. Uh, This entity exists in its fullness somewhere. So it's challenging us to think that the kingdom of God is dynamic, that it's progressing, that it breaks in in pieces, that it's establishing itself on earth in a progressive and dynamic way. That's hard for us to fathom. Uh, It wasn't for them. In other words, they had heard or seen the inbreaking of God throughout their history. Israel was intimately tied uh, with God's visitations. And so his kingdom progressively being established and moving and showing up. For us, it's challenging because the visitation we think of was Christ 2,000 years ago when he showed up, right? Yet day in and day out, if you're a Christ follower, you commune with God because his spirit is in you. There is a divine visitation that takes place in your soul when you become a believer, And you are united with God in Christ through his spirit. So the idea that God could visit us in in a much fuller way, in a much more extreme way, 
shouldn't surprise our mind, even though our minds are so Western in its thinking. For them, God was breaking in through history and choosing special times. And so whether it was with Noah or Moses or King David or Jesus showing up as Messiah or the church in 2013, these are signposts of the kingdom of of God. God says, my kingdom is breaking in and it's pointing to the ultimate fulfillment. I'll redeem the earth. I'll redeem my people. My reign will rule over all people. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. And as we stand in this in-between time, the challenge for us is to say, does God and his kingdom really rule over history? Can we let our minds wrap around that so that God's kingdom isn't mythical any longer? He gives history meaning. Because if you take God out of the the picture, if you take him out of the story, you have to ask the question, why are we here? What is the point of history? We have to create some answer. And as God has divinely given us his word, it answers us by saying that the point and the point of history is pointing towards, pointing towards God. That the kingdom is being fulfilled. The Old Testament believer would have understood the kingdom had no end. Superpowers would show up. Rome was huge, but it went away. America, we've been here for a few hundred years, but that's not real long when you think about empires. Kings and rulers raise up and then they fade away. But he says that this kingdom has no end. It is moving towards a literal historical reign of God over all the earth and all the people with the vindication of his purposes over evil. And I know that sounds like a lot, but all history ends in his glory. And so when I look at the world and I look at the mess that we talked about last week, this is the lens that God challenges me to look through. When I get the phone call in the middle of the night, that's the lens I want to see the, the mess through. When I turn on the television or the internet and I read the headlines, this is the lens I want to see the mess through. God tells me to see the mess through this lens that the evil is here. On the loose, death still stings, but the kingdom of God is coming in total fulfillment. It's breaking into history with a literal reign, and his purposes will be vindicated over evil, and evil will be wiped out. So the third thing we can say about the people listening to Jesus is that they would have understood the kingdom of God to be the final inbreaking of God in history to reign over the earth. That's why they were so upset about Jesus. It wasn't that they rejected the idea of the kingdom of God that was going to enter into their world and rule. They believed that that was going to happen, but they weren't happy that it showed up in some homeless carpenter. That's not what they wanted. They wanted a superhero to throw out Rome, so they weren't real happy. Jesus showed up and redefined it and expanded it for them. Blows away their presuppositions of the kingdom. At the same time, these three things would have been in their minds. It was the understanding that they would have had in their mind when they heard him say, the kingdom of God is near. They'd understood it as showing up on earth, very tangible, literal. Understood it as as his reign over all people and all the earth. And they would have understood it to be the final inbreaking. And Jesus just builds upon that. Have the band join me on stage. I want to close with this. I didn't know Jessica was going to go so long. It's her fault. So if you think about that question, so what is the kingdom of God? Let me put it in a wordy paragraph for you. 
And again, this series is meant for us to journey through it, to understand it. Um, When Jesus says, even the little kids, they already get the kingdom. What what is he talking about there, right? What they would have understood is that the kingdom of God was a relational reign of God over all the earth and all the people. Breaks into our lives through history, literally, and it is moving towards its final visitation. Where God will literally reign over all the earth and all the people with a vindication of his purposes over evil. So that the earth will be full of the knowledge of God. The challenge for us today is we're believers. You know, many of us would say, yeah, I'm a Christ follower. Some of you are just checking it out. But we're people who, who, who know that Christ died on the cross and rose from the dead. We've trusted him. His spirit has come into our lives. But we believe less in the kingdom of God than the Old Testament Jews. Who didn't have the spirit of Christ and rejected Jesus. That's a bad problem for us. Because all we can do with the kingdom of God is make it individual and personal. And therefore we adapt it and make it our own cultural religion. Jesus, by definition of his kingdom, is calling his followers and asking this question. Are you going to buy into the fact that my reign is bigger than your cultural moment? Bigger than your cultural assumptions? Bigger than the dualism that exists between the material world and the spiritual world? Are you going to be willing to recraft what you think about life and God and his kingdom and follow him? That's why he says, repent, because the kingdom of God is here. And this is why we can be excited about this study, is that when we see that we don't just have a God that is our personal God, but we have a God that reigns over a kingdom that is so beautiful that the mess becomes smaller and smaller in our lives. I invite you to stand. Band's going to close with this last song. It's called Glory of It All. And this song talks about why he came here for redemption, for salvation, for us. Join me in prayer. God, thank you for this story of how you, from the beginning, broken into our lives with this kingdom, that it showed up not just in the Old Testament, not just in the New Testament, but today, Bryson City, 2013, you're still impacting life, showing up with the kingdom. And we know and we trust and we have faith that it's on its way in fulfillment. We are excited about that day. But till then, in this in-between, when we're uh, viewing this mess in our lives, let this story be the lens in which we look through. That yes, evil is here and on the loose, And death still stings. But one day, your kingdom will show up in its fullness. And evil will be wiped out. What a great day that will be. You've called us to follow you, to trust you, to believe in you. And that's all we have to do is believe in our lives. To repent and to follow you. So God, if we haven't done that, let us do that today. Let us acknowledge that we need a savior. You died on a cross for us, rose from the dead. You've called us to be your own. We give you our heart. We give you our life. May it be for your glory. Worship with me.